This is episode number 41 with Tai He Nung, co-founder and managing director of Storm Ventures. Welcome to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. My name is Andrew Senduk, a former banker turned tech entrepreneur. And in each episode, I interview the movers and shakers of the venture capital and investment space in Southeast Asia with the only goal to help you discover how to raise more capital, build better companies, and to give you a better understanding of the people behind the biggest funds in the region. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now let's get started. All right, beautiful people, welcome to a new episode. Uh, today I am uh, super pumped uh, because we are dialing in uh, into the West Coast, into the US with a lot of time difference. It's uh, I think two in the afternoon there. It's uh, six o'clock in the morning, the day after here. And I have across me Tai He Nam, which has an humongous experience of um, both, you know, being in the law practice, but two decades of investing experience. Uh, Tai started off as an applied math major in college, then went into the lawyer space, being a lawyer, being a partner at Wilson, Sonsini, Goodrich and Rossati. Um, and after that, his entrepreneurial and VC journey began. Uh, he's been a seed investor for Yahoo. He's an author of Survival to Thrival, which I love because uh, what entrepreneur doesn't want to survive, uh, what entrepreneur does want to thrive. Uh, the full title of the book is Survival to Thrival, Building the Enterprise Startup the company journey and the book actually dives deep into the concept of go to market fit and i think that is a crucial concept apart from the product market fit of course that we all know um Tai has been a founding ceo and investor of airspace uh, which has been acquired by cisco for 450 million dollars and over the last two decades he is a co-founder and managing director at storm ventures which is famously located at sand hill road um, Storm is a Storm Ventures is an early stage VC uh, focused on global B2B software companies. And now the portfolio includes 70 plus companies, uh, over nine unicorns, amongst others, Marketo, Talkdesk, and Workato. Uh, Taihi, welcome to the show. I am excited that you're here. How is uh, everything on your side of the world? Very good. And Andrew, I'm excited to be uh, part of the podcast here. And I'm uh, super impressed that you're up at 6 a.m. for this podcast. That's uh, true commitment. That is true commitment. <laughs> and for special guests, I am uh, more, more than uh, pumped to do that. Um, Tai, uh, it's, a, it's a very long intro because you've had so many highlights. Uh, you've been an investor for, for over two decades. Uh, we talked about it briefly before. Uh, fund cycles, you've seen it. You're at fund number seven right now. Um, yes. How has business been? How has the investing side of the business been over the last specifically 24 months? What's been, what's been going on on, on on your side of the, of the world? Well, you know, the, the last three months in particular has been very turbulent for uh, uh, tech companies, especially high growth tech companies. And uh, the multiples have come down, I would say, 30 to 50 percent in just three months. Um, I mean, you saw Meta just fall 25 percent in one day. Wow. There was a lot of uh, vaporizing of dollars there uh, in, in one day. That was that was crazy. So, so what have you seen there? Is it more like an... Uh... A macroeconomic trend there where, you know, public markets go, go a different way than, you know, let's say four or five, six months ago? Yeah, I mean, the, the big fear in the U.S. is that uh, inflation is no longer transitory. And, and because we're in a high inflation environment that the U.S. Federal Reserve will have to start raising interest rates 
and take other action to basically stop inflation. Mm. And, and in the past, most high inflations ended because uh, the U.S. economy went into a recession. Yeah, and and how is that uh, corrections are happening when it comes to when it comes to writing new checks? When it comes to like action in the field, uh, what's been what's been the biggest impact of the last three months? So what's happened in our world, which is in private companies, is is that uh, um, most investors now they're investing in late stage, high growth companies are uh, basically the same as public investors, like take Tiger, take Viking, take all these other hedge funds that have been investing in public companies that are now been aggressively investing in uh, late stage private companies. In other words, instead of investing after the IPO, they decided, well, why don't we invest before the IPO as well too, and sort of moving down. And so uh, their investment methodology and aggressiveness was just like investing in public companies. In other words, they don't want board seats. They don't want to take corporate governance. They want to be an investor in 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 a great company. So that's been their strategy has worked very well. But since the public markets have come down, then uh, what we're seeing is a a real time readjustment of valuations in the late stage private markets. Mm. You know, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that came out that uh, just last week that uh, just in the month of January, Tiger was down about 15 percent in one month. And that in the private markets, uh, that they've were repriced two of their deals and so forth. So yeah, and I think uh, you know, being being in Southeast Asia, being in the other side of the world, uh, where where the valuations are are quite kind of like inflating quite substantially over the last maybe uh, 12, 12 months plus. Maybe that is definitely something which eventually will, with the lagging effect, will will come here as well, right? Uh, it will definitely hit you in Southeast Asia. Yeah, so you know, it's like a rock going in the pond, and you know we're seeing the ripples going out. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you're if you're fundraising now and you can, then just go go out there and fundraise uh, with with the best valuations that you have right now. Uh, right, because there's a real time adjustment going on right now. Exactly, exactly. Ty, uh, you you said something very crucial, right? Uh, which I think a lot of the VCs want is just investing in great companies. And uh, you've uh, you, you've done that. I mean, uh, the the fact that there's a huge portfolio of 70 companies, there's a lot of unicorns. Then you kind of like know uh, what what the characters are, or when 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 to do that, when 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 to invest in in these great mm-hmm. companies. Uh, being uh, coming from the math, coming from the math background, be, being a math major in college, what's been kind of your approach? I mean, of course, it's an extensive time that you've been investing, but what's been your approach in identifying these companies, both on timing uh, and then on, on the company side? So coming into the right company at the right time. Right. So maybe the, the way to, uh, that might help is uh, to use a surfing metaphor, especially Sandra, I know you're a, a surfer in Bali here. And, and that is, um, um, we find that uh, um, we do very well, and you know we've had over twelve unicorns. Uh, is if we can um, uh, invest in the right surfer who surfs the big wave, I like that. And in that case, then the the surfer just uh, uh, serves to build a, a great company. So it's a combination of catching a big wave or catching a small wave that becomes a big wave, um, and the second is uh, uh, having the right surfer. 
And if those two things happen, then uh, um, great things just happen. So where we failed in the past is uh, um, uh, several times uh, we sort of uh, anticipated the wave too early. So we were, we were there too early. And, and so it, then it turns out if we're there too early, the key is to just make sure our surfer doesn't die. And just sort of conserve energy. Don't paddle around too much, but just sort of conserve energy, watch the wave. And as the wave does ultimately hit you, then catch it and ride it. Mm, I love that. So uh, um, that's, we generally have been right in terms of identifying the wave. Um, our mistakes have been that in terms of timing, maybe a little too early. Mm. Then when it comes down to the surfer, um, you know, um, the hardest things for us to go through as an investor, if when the founders don't get along, you know, it, it's like watching a divorce and, uh, we're just collateral damage. You know, we're like the kids in the divorce, you know, <laughs> the other employees and the investors are just like kids in this sort of, you know, fierce divorce between founders. And, uh, uh, it can be tough. Uh, so, uh, when we, um, have uh, struggled with surfers, especially when there's been founder drama issues. Um, when the founding teams have stuck together, um, we've had several uh, uh, companies that have exited over half a billion dollars um, where the founders did okay with their first business, but then the first business disappeared, but they stick, stuck together and then pivoted and then uh, um, have done very well. One example is a company called Splashtop, which uh, closed uh, uh, recently around as a unicorn. But uh, uh, four years ago, five years ago, they had a near-death experience. <laughs> and, and this is a company that I think we invested back in 2005 or something like that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah you mentioned also earlier, um, well, th th these are... These are definitely beautiful examples, and uh, I love the of the the metaphor of surfing. By the way, I think that's that's pretty spot on. But but the timing element is uh, is is crucial, right? And like you said, I think on on timing, investors, you know, you don't have your your glass bowl which predicts the future. It is a bit of gut feeling or quote unquote luck. Is there you know over the last twenty years, is there any way? that you've kind of like systemized, you know, especially as a math major, you systemized or modeled right. a way where you can optimize your luck element. Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so when it comes to like the timing, uh, I mean, by definition, we're early stage investors. So, you know, as an early stage investors, we're investing before things are like really obvious. If I, if I was a late stage growth investor, then I mean, I, I see the company right in the wave, you know, so it, it's different there. So since we're uh, early stage investors and we're not sure about the timing of the wave, um, what we uh, strongly encourage the founders to do is uh, to be patient. That many times uh, the best thing is not to overexert yourself pedaling all around trying to catch the wave but to be a little patient, mm, mm. you know, survival sometimes is uh, the, the best action than just burning through all the cash quickly. Yeah. And I think especially there is maybe a good, a good way to, for investors to add value, to actually coach 
the surfers to say like, okay, maybe now just be patient yeah. or, or maybe now. coach. And uh, you know, uh, the way the investors uh, can have a big impact on the companies by just sort of spotlighting or sort of uh, pushing. Yeah. Um, and, and so, um, you know, I think founders sometimes are surprised when they have an investor that's preaching patience. Yeah. Yeah. Than saying grow as fast as you can right now. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe that's also dependent on the business model of the startup and if they're burning a lot of cash, yes or no. Oh, or sometimes just the timing of the wave. Or sometimes the timing of the be wave. Before the wave is there, you want to conserve energy, which is cash. But once you caught that wave, then you want to change and really ride that wave. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Ty, if we go, if we go back, if we go back 20 years ago, I always love, love the transition of, of entrepreneurs becoming operators, becoming investors, because I believe that is the, the dream scenario. You know what entrepreneurs are going through. You know the sweat and tears, the blood, sweat and tears that they go through to build something to create value. What has been that journey? I mean, after, uh, after the company got acquired, could you take us back a bit to that transition from being an entrepreneur, being an operator, and then launching that first fund? Like, was that easy back then because you already exited? There's, there's of course, liquidity. But, but could you take us back to those first steps and that, that number one fund of, of Storm? Yeah, um, it, it was uh, relatively easy because of the fact that, uh, you know, we had just had exits and all that kind of stuff. But uh, um, th there is one experience as being a, an entrepreneur that sort of made me uh, uh, appreciate investors and vice versa, that might be. Um, so when I was uh, the, the founding CEO of Airspace, uh, I had an investor who's a, is a good, very good friend of mine. But at the time, this was like his first investment. Uh, he was an associate of the firm. He's now a senior partner in the firm. But he was an associate first deal. And I think he was under a lot of pressure. So if this deal failed, I think it would have been maybe career limiting for him. Um, instead, you know, he did well and he got promoted to partner. But Every third night, he would call me, and we would spend about an hour talking about the discussions and the, about the decisions to make in the company. And so, you know, you're going down this road as CEO, and you're deciding, you know, do you want to take the left fork or the right fork? And uh, he would ask me, and I'd say, well, I'm going to be taking the left fork. And he goes, well, why don't you take the right fork? What about this, this? And he's thinking about it, all, all these things, you know, sort of forcing me to think. And this is happening like every third night for about an hour. Um, uh, so, you know, I'm getting an idea of what it's like to work with investors. Uh, and then one time I told him, okay, I, instead of going the left fork, I'm going to take the right fork. And he sort of freaked out. He goes, wait a minute, you're changing your mind. What's going on? You know, but even though you were saying take the right fork, right fork the whole time, you know. Uh, so it's about dealing with investors is at the end of the day, you know, they have their careers on the line too. And, and so we're in this together. And so it's about, you know, be, how to make it successful. And it feels like a, a burden and that investors are putting a burden and a tax, but at the end of the day, you know, we're all in this together and trying to make this company successful. I think that's, that's such a good point because you have the investor on one side, you have the entrepreneur, the operator on the other side, but those agendas of the two are not per definition the same always. We, we talked right. a lot about unlocking growth and you know uh, the go-to-market fit. 
which for the operator is of course main priority to get to get cash in to drive revenue to get your customer base where on the let's say the investor side i mean it's it's easy for an investor just to look at that as a box which is returning roi which is just creating yes. value at, at the end yes. of the day how do you and you've seen both right you've seen both uh, and you're now at, at this side of the table which is looking which look right right at it as a yeah. portfolio level right so how do you how do you balance the two well, it's good to have both perspectives. And so going back to the surfing metaphor, another way of looking at it is, is that the entrepreneur is like the surfer. It's like surfing the wave. And uh, the entrepreneur's number one goal as a surfer is just don't wipe out. In other words, don't run out of cash, just survive, you know, just, just keep going. Now, the, the VC is like a, a person in a helicopter 50 feet above the water. So the, the VC is not in the water, it's say, but uh, is above it and maybe has invested in 10, 15 companies. So it's like watching 10, 15 surfers as they're going on. And, and uh, uh, it's giving advice about this is where the wave is coming or this surfer is doing this really well, do this. And, and so what the VC needs to watch out is a little bit of uh, uh, envy. Because, you know, you got 15 surfers and one may be doing better than the other 14. And, or, you know, you see someone else's surfer doing better than your surfer. And, and, and so it, it, it's very easy to do that. And I, I th- it can be demoralizing for yeah. the entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. Because, because I think that's such a good, good point, which is almost going to be like a FOMO, like a fear of missing out for the investor, which is looking maybe at their yes, own Yes, the investor has a big, yeah, FOMO complex. Investors always have a FOMO complex. I mean, there's there's many examples. Uh, there's many uh, examples. Absolutely. You know, uh, absolutely. So how do, how do you deal with that? Like, is that, uh, is that you need to go like laser focus, just focusing on only what, what, what's in your portfolio? You, you don't never look to the left or to the right? Or how do you, how, how do you balance the two? Well, I mean, obviously you want to learn from everything, right? So you want to watch others to see what they're doing right and learn from you. Mm. The hard part is that if you had passed on that deal, <laughs> that is now exploding. And then you're saying, you know, that makes it a little harder. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it, it kind of like um, um, emphasizes the fact that, that investors are also just human beings with emotions. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, 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 and so it's really important. What many founders have told me is that it's very critical that investors control their frustration. Yeah. 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 Emotions uh, to control your emotions. It's actually something I, I tell my kids every day is, is as an investor or as an entrepreneur, even it's, it's, it's something that we need to really control. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you another, uh, you were talking kids is, uh, um, you know, I immigrated to the United States when I was five years old. I was Korean. There are very few Koreans living in St. Louis. And so there was this another Korean family with a, a boy one year older than me. Well, for the next 12 years, I think, you know, we became bitter rivals because uh, every Friday, my mother would tell me how he's done this. He's won this award. He's like acing this and you know, all this. And his mother is doing the same to him, too. 
And, and so for the next 12 years, as I'm growing up, you know, K to 12, I'm hearing stories about him and, you know, we'd get together. He's a great guy. I mean, nothing, he didn't do anything personally, but through the mothers, you know, like the VCs, you know, you create this sort of animosity and, and tension. And so, you know, he, he, he's a year older than me. So he went to Harvard. So oh. then I decided I'm going to Harvard as well too. So yeah. Don't, don't, don't tell me he's now also running a VC fund. No, he became a doctor and did this okay. company. He's done, he's done very well too, but I'm just, yeah. You know, two Korean mothers with their kids. Yeah, very, very Asian-esque Asian way of, of, of raising kids, I would say. Yes, and I think, you know, we were like the only two Korean boys that they knew in St. Louis. So we were like benchmarked against each other. Uh, Talking about portfolio, talking about, you know, the, let's say the 10, 15 servers that, that you're looking at from the helicopter, uh, something we talked about briefly before as well is, is, is the level of growth, right? I mean, the, the growth element or unlocking growth. I mean, um, your book, Survival to Thrival, I think the main theme is, is definitely is about the go-to-market um, strategy that startups should apply. Um, what's been kind of like the birth of that book and how do you apply the, the themes within the book to the portfolio companies that you're investing in right now? Yes, absolutely. Um, so the, the reason for doing it is, is that, you know, so many people have helped us uh, uh, in our careers and our investments that we thought this is a way that we can sort of pay back by just uh, uh, writing down our experience and the experience of others. I mean, we got like, uh, fortunately, like 15 others to share their experience in it. Wow. And uh, the, the crux of it is um, um, companies, startups will go through a, a stage in the beginning, which is where you really want to focus on survival. And at some point, you want to then transition to thrival, um, where you're really going for high growth with high cash burn, so forth. And that transition point from when you go from survival to thrival happens once you unlock growth. A good way of looking at it is, is that, you know, if you unlock growth, you're like this hot girl at a party that everyone wants to dance with. And if you don't unlock growth, no one wants you. So, so this transition from survival to thrival turns out to be is uh, when you unlock growth. And the crux of it is, how do you go from founder-led growth, where only founders can really drive growth, to a repeatable, scalable, go-to-market machine that you can hire mere morals and then really accelerate growth in a predictable manner? And we call that go-to-market fit. Um, also related to it is, is that uh, the common wisdom that we heard was drive to product market fit. Once you have it, immediately start scaling uh, to accelerate as fast as you can. And we, many of our companies did that and they failed. Mm. And when you scale, you burn a lot of money and then the, you know, everyone gets tired. And, what, and this is what we realized is that between go-to-market, uh, uh, between product market fit and scaling, you need to find this repeatable growth formula that we call go-to-market fit. Yeah, I love that. And what's, what are the key the key metrics or the key strategies to find that go-to-market fit. Because oftentimes, mm -hmm. you know, as, as entrepreneurs, it's always going to be about, oh yeah, uh, how do I grow faster, right? How do I grow yeah. faster? Is yeah. it pure knocking on doors? I mean, is it pure, yeah. are we talking about more characteristics of being persistent, yeah. resilient, or are we talking about actual 
strategies that will open up more pipeline and quality leads? Yeah. So the first thing is, is uh, uh, when you have go-to-market fit, you know, what it feels like is it feels like surfing, you know, the wave is just pushing you, you know, you just feel momentum. All right. So the first thing is understanding what it really feels like is surfing rather than paddling. Mm. Okay. Now, and I know, uh, Andrew, you've been in hyper growth, hyperscale companies before. So you know what it's like to, you know, that feeling difference between paddling and surfing. Definitely. But for many founders that, who have not been in a hyper growth company, they don't really know what unlocking growth feels like. And that's why we emphasize it's like going from paddling to surfing. And, and the way that you unlock growth um, is really what we found is through a four-step process that has worked very well with our companies. And the first step and the most important is you got to catch the wave. If you just don't catch the wave, it's just hard. And so it's about catching that wave. Uh, and I think Andrea, you, you mentioned to me that you know you surf, and that's what your uh, surfing instructor said at the beginning too. Is uh, emphasizing the importance of you know catching that wave. I mean, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's all about that. And by the way, paddling is so tiring; it's uh, it's really annoying, actually. Uh, but uh, yeah, and, but but catching the wave means you need to be at the right spot. It means you need to read the wave. It means you need to know what type of waves there are. You need to you need to be you know because a wave is very long. Where are you yes. where, where are you entering the wave, right? So, yes. so how what does that practically mean? I'm yeah. I'm, so I'm what that my... is is that I look at the wave as the customer journey. Okay. So you want to ride that customer journey, and so the way you enter the the customer, so you want to look at everything from your customer's perspective rather than uh, is an outside in view rather than looking at it through your sales, marketing, CRM, or yep. certain inside out view. Yep. And so from a customer journey standpoint in, in B2B, the, what the customer first wants is uh, um, uh, what triggers their journey with you is because they have an urgent pain. They have some pain that they just have to like solve now. And so it answers the question, why buy now? Mm. So they, they have an urgent pain and then they become aware of you. And then you have to show them a simple wow. So they go interested in you and want to be with you. Mm. So the journey starts with urgent pain. The critical element is to wow them so that they become interested in you. The journey will end when your champion becomes a hero. Mm. Mm. In other words, it ends when your champion gets promoted. Mm. It doesn't end with a renewal. It doesn't end with expands. It ends when your champion gets promoted and becomes a hero. Mm. So that's the beginning of the wave is the urgent pain. The end of the wave is the hero. Some other critical elements after you have the urgent pain, the wow to get your champion to become your uh, uh, customer to become a champion is what we call uh, first value. Is when does your champion get first value? It's this is not what customer support says when they say, hey, the product's been onboarded, all that. You know, the champion gets first value when the product does something that uh, the champion's boss or peer says, that looks good. Mm. You know, when that person gets peer affirmation is when the, you have delivered first value. Mm. Mm. Um, 
And, and this is very different than when people said, hey, we just onboarded, they went through X amount of training or this, but those aren't really customer centric perspective. So you get first value. Now this first value, time to first value concept turns out to be super critical. If you can deliver for, if that can happen very early on, like right after the wow, even before they sign the contract, you can have very good product-led growth. Mm. If that first value happens way after you sign the contract and all that, product-led growth will never happen. Mm. It also turns out that the time to first value is highly correlated with sales cycle. Hmm. You know, if it takes like two years from the time you sign the contract for the customer to get first value, it's a long sale. <laughs> a lot of buy-ins are required versus if it happens just in 24 hours, mm -hmm. you know? So that understanding what is first value to the customer and shortening it is has profound implications on your go-to-market. Mm. And then after the first value is the next phase is when it becomes fully deployed in the enterprise. Because then that your champion gets much better recognition once it's been fully deployed. So, so we lay out this journey, as I said, from urgent pain to becoming a, a hero. And uh, in our chapter, which is for free online, we actually interviewed a couple of cus uh, uh, customers where they talked about their perspective when they look at you know, why they pick a vendor, why they pick a startup as a vendor. Yeah. Because customers should never pick startups as a vendor. Mm. Why is that? You know, why take risk? You know, you should always go to yeah. an established company. True. You know? True. Yes. True. Yes. So, so I love that. From pain to become urgent pain. Become urgent. urgent pain. Yeah. Not just any. Not urgent. urgent. It's, yeah, yeah, it takes forever. From urgent pain to hero. So, so when a customer is a hero, would it, does it mean that the hero is like an, uh, an ambassador? The hero is promoted. The best heroes are the ones that are viewed in the industry as superstars. So I'll give you an example of a, 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 a customer hero story. So this is Marketo. Um, Marketo's uh, product uh, is an email management product, you know, to help you nurture leads and all yep. that. Yep. Uh, many people think of it as just spam. But uh, anyway, it, it is a, an email nurturing product. But the way Marketo positioned it is, um, is that with this, you can do demand generation to create pipeline. Yeah. And, and so it's a way for marketers to get a seat at the revenue table. So if you're a CMO and you could generate pipeline, then all of a sudden the CEO and the VP of sales say, wow, you know, you're not just doing brand. You're not just spending money on ads. You're actually generating pipeline for yeah. me. Yeah. And, and so what happened is, is that they created this discipline called demand generation. Yep. And so early Marketo users were like managers of email marketing that then became directors or VPs of demand generation because every company says we need demand generation. And so they got a VP. And next thing you know, they go, when I'm looking for a CMO, I want a CMO who can generate pipeline. Mm. And, and so the VP of demand generations became future CMOs. So this is showing how by becoming a Marketo user, 
you become proficient at generating pipeline. And as a result, you go from being an email marketing manager to the next generation CMO. I like that. So it, it's a way of advancing someone's career, right? Becoming a hero. Mm. At the same time, it really helps the company by becoming strategic because now yep. marketing is doing this. Yeah. And, and an example of it is, is that and what how this impacts leads and everything is, uh, you know, I went to the first Marketo conference. There were only like 15 Marketo customers at the time. There were 25 customers and one came all the way from Florida. And I go, why are you here in California? And she goes, hey, you know, I just want to learn from the best marketers, how to be a great marketer and all this. You know, a few years later, Marketo Conference, Las Vegas, 5,000 people. This woman was at this big conference sitting next to me. I asked her the same question. Why am I here? And she goes, I just started a career as a marketer and I, I want to be a great marketer. So I wanted to come to this conference, but my company is not doing well. So uh, they couldn't afford to send me. So I'm here on my vacation. Wow. I got the Marketo sales rep to give me a free pass. And I'm staying in the room with my colleagues, so I get a free room. And so she's there to learn and hang out with the best marketer so that she can become a superstar marketer in her own way. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. So once you have the ability, once your product or service has the ability to transform your customer into, into a hero, into a hero yeah. then there's, at least that's one of the key secrets to, to unlock this this growth. Right. And, yeah. and if you can do that, that also gives you a great platform for thought leadership. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's a very good approach. It's a very customer centric about how to make your customer successful. Yeah. And when I say customer, I guess I'm thinking not in terms of the, the, com the company. Mm. I'm thinking of the individual. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I lo I love this angle because you know there's there's a few a few partners that I that I interviewed, who who actually interview end customers of their portfolio companies. Yeah. Which 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 reminds me of at the end of the day, it is it is about customers. You know, we talk about tickets, we talk about fundraising evaluation, but at the end of the day, it is this individual who's actually generating the value. Which, That's right. And, and if you can transform their careers yeah that's uh, and then others see it then you know it gets you leads yeah it gets you expands it yeah. gets you renewals I, I love that i love that and it's such a it, it sounds so simplistic you know it's, it sounds simplistic but this is the core of of where the value creation happens right and and, right. and, and so one of my companies uh the ceo likes it so much you know He's gone in and mined these hero stories, yeah. you know, cases where, you know, they have 700 customers. So they, you know, they were found examples where um, their champion got promoted like three times. Yeah. Yeah. And they promote it internally because, you know, for that person, that means customer success did a great job to yeah. help that customer succeed. Yeah. So that's like telling customer success, you did a great job. It's not about just getting a renewal or selling mm. more product, but mm. if you make, you know, your user into a hero, then you're doing well. You are doing well in customer success. From urgent pain to hero. I, uh, yeah. I, I love, I love that. Uh, I love that journey. Uh, 
Ty, coming back a bit bit to the fund, because we talked about it briefly in the beginning, but but fund number seven, which I think uh-huh. on its own is is a, is an amazing feat. What's what's currently, let's say, AUM, if, if you can share, and 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 you are early stage. So what are the ticket sizes that you usually write? write yeah, on? so our AUM is over a billion, and our new fund will be around two hundred million. Um, and uh, uh, you know, we've invested in over two hundred B two B software companies. You know, over thirteen unicorns uh, uh, all around the world. I, you know, we talked about U.S. like Marketo, Workato, school. Uh, or in Europe, like Pipedrive, Algolia, uh, TalkDesk, uh, German um, uh, Solaris Bank, and so forth. So, you know, quite a few. We don't have any in Southeast Asia. We, we'd yet. like Not very yet. much to yeah. uh, invest in a B2B software company in, in Southeast Asia. But uh, um, so we typically invest uh, uh, in companies uh, when they're about a half a million to two million in ARR. Hey, okay. Okay. Uh, annual recurring revenue. Yep. yep. So, uh, so what we have is some evidence of product market fit. Yep. And then we feel like we can uh, uh, help the company unlock growth. Yep. And so we'll work with the company on finding go-to-market fit. And then we'll invest in the company in the latter parts of the journey as well, too, but we like to invest in that particular stage because uh, if we can then help the company find go-to-market fit and unlock growth, then there are so many growth funds that want to invest in companies yeah. and so and, forth. So, And usually you, uh, as the fund itself, you come in early stage, you you, yes. ex- you exit in series B or, or you-, you Oh, no, we'll keep fund. investing. You keep, we'll keep, keep investing. Yeah, yeah, but in smaller amounts, but yeah. Got, got it, got it. So, so, yeah. so the fund management itself, there's there's a pretty big chunk which is reserved for follow-on rounds. Yes, for, yes. For uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. That's. Uh, I mean, in the high growth case, it's pretty easy, but you know, as we mentioned, uh, uh, sometimes we're a little bit too early. Yeah. You know, you got to wait for the wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, like Marketo, we actually did a bridge to give it a bit more time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've been in a bridge myself. Uh, Sometimes nice, sometimes not so nice, but uh, yeah, that's an interesting, uh, interesting season, right? Um, yes. Looking, looking at the at the market. I mean, U.S. investments, European investments, Southeast Asia, not yet. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts? What are your thoughts uh, as an as an Asian as well? Uh, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. about when you look at when you look at Southeast Asia from a VC perspective, opportunity perspective, valuations? Do you have any? Any feel on where that market is going? Are you are you bullish about it? Are you not looking at it at all? What's kind of like your your two? Yeah, cents I, I think there's a, a a great opportunity. I mean, I would say that probably the first opportunity is B two C investments. You know, copying uh, business models or services in the United States, like Uber being the mm. best example, mm, right? Mm, mm. So uh, there's clearly a lot of that. Uh, but unfortunately, we don't do B2C investments, we do B2B investments. But I think, you know, from a, a founder VC standpoint, uh, uh, B2C copycat models are very, is a great strategy in, yep. uh, outside the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely have we've seen that. Uh, I mean, the yeah. e-com boom has been. Yes, uh, has been a- absolutely. Evident, right? Yes. And, and I'm Korean, and so we've done a lot of investments in Korea as well. Okay. So I would say that strategy works very well. For us, since we do B2B software, um, first of all, I think you know B2B software is a great opportunity worldwide 
now versus five or 10 years ago because of the cloud. Mm. You know, the, the cloud has made Silicon Valley technology available anywhere, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, before the cloud, uh, it was hard for these companies to succeed outside Silicon Valley, but with the cloud, you can be anywhere working on the cloud. Yeah. So uh, that's what we found to be uh, a key to success for many of our European startups and why I think that uh, there will be an opportunity wherever you are. Mm -hmm. Um, With the cloud. And then second is in terms of go-to-market, now that you can just sell uh, over the web, you know, with digital marketing, um, you know, you don't need a U.S. sales team to sell yeah, that, in the U.S. That, that is so true. That is so true. I mean, uh, that's the that's the beauty. Uh, that's the beauty of it all. Um, yes. Uh, Tahi, I, two two final questions I have. Um, we're nearing the end of the interview. Two final questions. Uh, question number one is this: um, You've been operating very successfully. You're investing very successfully. It is always interesting to see and to find um, roadmaps or blueprints um, to success, right? And if I would ask you now as a fund manager, right, what do you think are the main characteristics or the main strategies to become a successful fund manager? Yeah, I, I think... Uh, uh... It, it really just comes down to uh, just going back to the metaphor of surfing the wave. If you can just identify the right wave, if you identify the right wave and make 10 bets in it, I think you'll do very well. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying all 10 will do very well. You will do very well if you, know, you identify the, the right wave. Um, especially if you do all 10 on that way, um, because you can also build a network brand and become known for that wave. Um, the other is if you're very good at picking 10 great surfers, then, uh, uh we'll also do very well. Mm. Um, the problem is, is if you do, so if one of those two, the wave or the surfers an A plus, you tend to do very well. If both are B pluses, it's tough. You need one of those two to be an A plus. Mm-hmm. I love that. Choose the right wave. Choose the right surfer. It sounds as so an simple. investor. That's what you need yeah, to do. It sounds so yeah. simple, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and with that, then you know you just want to make sure that you're doing enough portfolio management. You know. In other words, you have enough companies in that wave and things like that, then it works out. Mm. But if you just have those two and exercise, you know, good portfolio management, then I feel like uh, it's like playing blackjack with a very good card counting strategy. You know, the odds are with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. When you, when you play blackjack with the right counting strategy, you can kind yeah. of systemize or optimize yeah. your quote unquote yeah. luck, right? Because at the end of the yeah. day, this is a home run. It's a home run business, right? It, you need to. It's home run, but with averages and statistics. So, yeah. I mean, you know, all our funds have made money. Yeah. You know, uh, even though we had the 2000 tech meltdown here or the 2007 financial crisis, you know, all our funds have been, have made money. Wow. That's amazing. 
over one billion dollars AUM. That is uh, that is exciting. Uh, who have would you have thought that like uh, back when you were still applied math major in college uh, that you would be managing over one billion dollars in uh, in funds right now? Now, uh, not 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 really, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, Boy, I, I'll tell you, you know, studying game theory helped a lot, you know, <laughs> and probability. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, probability. Yeah. You are in the probability game, of course. And yeah. I try to manage risk. Yeah. yeah beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, Tahi, um, final, final question of the interview. Uh, I want you to imagine a, a day with me far, far away into the future. Uh, and on this specific day, uh, there will be a search engine. Let's just name it Google. Not sure if that's the name, but let's just name it Google. Um, and I try to Google your name and uh, the search engine doesn't give me any result. Actually, your digital footprint is totally gone. There's no LinkedIn. There's no Storm Ventures. There's, there's no accolades of your op, uh, entrepreneurial feats. The only thing that the search engine gives me are three bullet points. And these three bullet points, they represent your life as in the life lessons that you actually want to leave the world with. What would those uh -huh. three bullet points be? Boy, that, that is... Uh, uh, uh... Uh, tough. Um, you know, I, I'm hoping I can leave uh, 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 three bullet points as uh, one is, uh, you know, he was a good person. Second is uh, he added value to the world in some manner. And uh, uh, third is he was a fun person to be around. I love that. We need to, we need to be fun. We need to be fun. Yeah. We need to get yeah. fun. enjoy, you know, life as we go on. I love that. I love that. Tahi, um, it's, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been an amazing session, uh, amazing interview. I, I, I love your journey and, and congrats again on all the, on all the milestones. And, and of course, I believe that the, the, the best is yet to come. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for making time to, to connect. I look forward to where Storm Ventures is evolving into and investing into in the future. And uh, I hope to welcome you soon in, uh, in Bali. I, I hope to go to Bali soon as well. Okay, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. If you found this episode valuable, I'd really appreciate it if you can leave a rating and review. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.